Welcome to Dreamers to Leaders, Keeping It Real with Melody podcast. Melody is a classic dreamer who started as a flight attendant and worked her way to now a tech fashion trendsetter, thought leader, and dynamic entrepreneur in various industries. This podcast is for the dreamers and doers. Learn how to think, act, and speak big as business leaders share how they turned from dreamers to leaders. Hello and welcome to the Dreamers to Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Melody. Our guest today is an author, speaker, and a futurist. He was previously the Attorney General for the state of Nevada. He is a successful business owner and authored two books, namely, Seize Your Destiny, Choices That Lead to a Happy, Meaningful, and Successful Life, and more recently, The Millennial Samurai. Both are strikingly relevant and really just what we need in this rapidly changing times. Ladies and gentlemen, please help you welcome George Chenos. Hey, George. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Great All right. So with our brief intro call the other day, you already shared so much interesting topics that I am so excited to flesh out hopefully flesh out in this episode. So let's start with your backstory on uh, your life previous to you being who you are now, being a successful lawyer, futurist, author, and all that good stuff. Some defining moments for our audience. So let's see. Um, I grew up in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, and um, in Las Vegas, Nevada, back and forth. Uh, two very different environments. So my parents were divorced when I was one. Uh, my mom was a model in the 50s in Chicago. And um, my dad was the son of Greek Im- immigrants. And he and his brothers uh, ran a dry cleaners in uh, downtown Milwaukee. Ultimately, they all moved on with their various careers. Um, uh, I went back and forth between uh, Wisconsin and Las Vegas most of my life. Uh, did school in both areas, mm-hmm. ultimately uh, um, developed an interest in politics and law. And um, I uh, went to law school at the University of San Diego, ended up working for one of the largest law firms in the world, and then um, ultimately became Nevada's attorney general and um, served as the state's uh, chief legal officer and advisor. And um you know, had a uh, an incredible uh, experience doing that. Argued before the United States Supreme Court, one nine zero, and then I joined Capriati's as chairman of the board. Capriati's is a uh, one of the fastest growing QSRs, uh, quick service restaurants in the United States. Uh, we have uh, uh, both Capriati's and Wing Zone. We acquired Wing Zone during the Wingzone. pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so we have two stores uh, or two uh, two um, brands um, and over 200 stores in over 20 states. And uh, we're doing very well with that. Um, in my personal life, I've uh, written two books. Uh, one is called Seize Your Destiny, A Roadmap to Success. And the other is Millennial Samurai, A Mindset for the 21st Century. And today I speak, uh, write, and uh, consult to uh, uh, business owners and uh, individuals. Right. So that's a broad spectrum of what you do. 
George from being an author. I think um, you haven't mentioned uh, Futurist, which I think is super interesting. <laughs> and, um, and of course, a franchisor, right? Yes. Um, so amongst all those that you juggle, what has been your most uh, favorite? Or is there one? Well, they, it's just, I've had a very interesting, I've been fortunate in having a very interesting life. And so um, it's kind of hard to pick a favorite. You know, yeah. one of the highlights certainly was arguing before the United States Supreme Court. Uh, that is something that every lawyer wishes uh, they could do, and very, very few get the opportunity. Um, so that was uh, certainly one of the major highlights. Uh, writing the book, Millennial Samurai, A Mindset for the 21st Century, is, um, I believe, one of the most important contributions that I've made so far. And I believe that um, it will have a, uh, a life of its own after I'm gone. And so it's an important legacy piece for me, mm -hmm. um, you know, but it's all been very interesting. I mean, I recently uh, just formed a, uh, an NFT um, studio and uh, um, uh, space for artists uh, here in Las Vegas. It's in called Vegas. People Rain, R-E-I-G-N, uh, PeopleRain.com. And uh, so we're creating amazing NFTs and NFT. and have created a platform for artists. Wow! So so there's also that creative uh, side of you. Um, I think I don't know if you've mentioned uh, Shop the Kingdom. You, you did, right? Yeah, so no, no. I uh, I also uh, have uh, been an advisor for the Kingdom uh, in Calabasas and Miami. And I think a little trivia about you: you also designed a board game, right? Yes. Notable quotes. Yeah, yeah. I designed, uh, I actually have a copy here. I designed uh, Notable Quotables when I was 30, uh, uh, a young lawyer, 30 years old. And um, How took fun. A, yeah, that was, that was uh, an incredible experience as well. What would be your, you know, in life, your most favorite quote and by whom? Uh, there's a great quote from Robert F. Kennedy, um, only those who dare to fail greatly can ever hope to achieve greatly. So you have to put yourself out there. You have to take risks. You have to take chances. Uh, you have to, um, take action. Uh, another great quote, uh, is action is magic. And, uh, that was said by a man who circumnavigated the globe. I don't uh -huh. recall his name at the moment, but, uh, he did a solo voyage around the around the globe uh, in a sailboat, and uh, he was interviewed in New York. And I saw the interview on television, and um, they asked him, you know, to what do you credit this? And he said, uh, "I pushed off the shore in New York, and uh, I ended up circumnavigating the globe." And so, action is action. I am so with you, hundred percent. Right? So you can't. You can't really accomplish anything in the comfort of your couch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah you, um, have to, you have to take action. Exactly. Now, so let's start with just briefly highlights of you being an attorney general for the state of Nevada. What has been your most challenging, challenging hurdle that um, that you experienced in that So, So I moment? was... I I was Nevada's 31st attorney general, just in case anybody's looking it up. And um, the uh, um, 
what happened was I was a, um, I had always had an interest in politics um, since I was very young. It began with the Kennedy assassination when I was six years old. And uh, by the time I was 10, I knew I wanted to, uh, um, I'd need to be, a I, well, from six years old, hearing uh, the Kennedy assassination come over the radio, I'm in the car with my mom, she pulls over, starts crying. Um, we go back and watch the television of the uh, outpouring of grief and love for this fallen hero. And I decide at six that I want to be president. By the time I'm 10, I decide that I'll have to be a lawyer to, you know, go on and pursue this. So um, I develop uh, the desire to go to law school. Um, I plan out the whole process by the time I'm 12. I map it out um, with the help of, wow. yeah, with the help of uh, a a marketing director at the Sahara Hotel named Sigfront, who was a friend of my mom's, took me to lunch and um, he, you know, we talked about what I wanted to do and uh, he said, okay. And he flipped over a placemat at the restaurant and he drew some columns and on the columns, he wrote out the steps that I would need to take uh, to go on to become president. And they, uh -huh. included, they included the things like, you know, <laughs> running for city council and running for uh, county commission and running for Congress and running for Senate and, you know, doing all these types of things. And, um, I followed that, uh, that, uh, path, uh, pretty much until I was 20, I was in Washington, DC and I was working for a United States Senator from Nevada, uh, Senator Paul Laxalt. And it was during Abscam. And, uh, that was the political corruption, uh, uh, sting uh of uh congressmen caught uh taking money and uh these men with their wives uh came into an elevator in the russell senate office building that i was in alone and uh, i saw the looks on their faces and i decided i didn't want to be one of these men and so i thought well what do i need to do to avoid that and i thought i need to go make money so i went out and uh, went to law school and uh, became a lawyer and became successful and made money and then ultimately, when I was about uh, 45 years old um, and I had a successful legal career, the uh, current attorney general resigned to become a federal judge and the governor appointed me to fill a two-year term. And mm -hmm. I, uh, I filled the two-year term, ultimately arguing before the U.S. Supreme Court uh, with a unanimous decision. I was expected to run for an additional four-year term. I had raised five times as much money as my political opponent. I had raised 1.2 million in the first three months. My opponent, who is now a United States Senator, raised 165,000 compared to my 1.2 million. <laughs> all a matter of public record. I was, wow. the I was the incumbent in Nevada with a financial war chest that was five times my opponent. And I decided that I didn't want politics. Um, I gave back all the money and I raised money for my Democratic opponent. So um, politics is a very toxic and dysfunctional environment, uh, mm. to, unfortunately. And I think yeah, I think most people know that. Um, you can kind of see it from the outside, but you don't really understand it until you get in. And when you get in, you see that um, it is um, it is overrun by lobbyists. Uh, and special interests who try to manipulate those who are in office. Um, and it's not something that I wanted to be part of my life. So, um, I finished my term. 
Uh, I had an incredible experience while serving as Nevada's attorney general. Um, I value and, and um, respect very much the opportunity that I had. Um, but I feel that politics is in a very dangerous place right now. And I think you, uh, you touched on that on um, one of the topics uh, that uh, was written about you, uh, where I think you touched on the perfect storm. Yeah. Right? Where yeah. Um, there's the income inequality, the racial and religious uh, intolerance, advancement in technology, and the fourth, I believe, is where you touched on the political distrust. Right? Yeah, I mean, there, yeah, there are there are so many different factors. So one of the things that um, that I do today is I write and I speak about issues that matter, um, issues that I think are important, big issues, um, issues that are affecting the country and affecting the world. And that's what I enjoy spending my time on. Um, my history is as a complex problem solver. That's what I've been doing my whole life. I've been solving people's problems. And now I'm looking at bigger and broader issues and trying to understand them and trying to um, help people understand them. Um, so essentially, um, what I can tell you is this. Um, first of all, today, we have a very dysfunctional environment because we do have so many converging issues, right? There are many red flags on the horizon. Um, first of all, we have a serious political dysfunction. Um, Republicans and Democrats aren't working together. Um, they're both very focused on advancing their own objectives and their own power and their own party. Um, and that's not representing the country as a whole. The country is evenly divided and no group can lead the country from the left or from the right. They need to lead from the middle because the country is equally divided. So if you have 340 million people um, who feel, you know, very differently than one another. Um, you can't take one side and expect that you're going to, you know, move for move the country forward along that's that side's agenda and ignore the other side's agenda. Um, mm -hmm. You have to compromise. You have to work with both. So we have intense division. No, uh, at no time, uh, researchers have gone back and studied this and have determined that at no time has our division been this extreme, yes. mm -hmm. except during the Civil War. So they had to go back 160 years uh, to the Civil War to find a time when America was this divided. So we have that issue. We have growing economic inequality. The level of economic inequality hasn't been this severe for more than 100 years. So we have less than 10 people, less, less than 10 people in the United States control more wealth than the bottom yeah. 200 million people. So that's an incredible imbalance, right? That is a very unhealthy imbalance. Um, we have uh, uh, global instability. We have uh, a proxy war that's going on in Russia, uh, in Ukraine, with Russia in Ukraine. We mm -hmm. have uh, tense relations with China. Um, you know, China was conducting exercises uh, in the Taiwan Straits, um, and um, uh, they have actually built a mock, a full-size mock model of a U.S. aircraft carrier in the middle of the desert that they are running uh, drills on, military drills on. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot going on in the world in terms of instability. Uh, Iran is moving forward with its nuclear reactors uh, um, unabated by any kind of 
checked by the United States or, or the world. Um, the COVID epidemic uh, has, you know, disrupted supply chains, killed millions of pe people, um, caused massive economic disruption. And on top of all of this, on top of all of this, we have a technological tsunami that is on the horizon. And, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the impact of that is going to be profound in terms of causing both great opportunity and great disruption. And, and so, you know, the good news is, is that technology can be the answer to our future. Um, it can solve world hunger, it can solve illiteracy and, and create a more enlightened, educated population. It has tremendous promise, but it also represents tremendous peril. And so it's, it's sort of like, you know, giving a child a Ferrari to drive, right? The United States is, and the world are the child. And the technology that's on the immediate horizon is the Ferrari. And we're not um, mature enough. To, to be handling the level of technology that we're about to experience. And it's coming like a freight train. Um, over the next, uh, you know, Stephen Hawking, theoretical physicist Stephen Hawking, said in 2014 that the singularity, that moment in time when machine intelligence would eclipse human intelligence, would be the greatest event in human history. Um, Ray Kurzweil, the head of artificial intelligence, so greater than fire, greater than the wheel, greater than anything we've ever had happen. Ray Kurzweil, the head of AI for Google, says that that moment in time, that singularity could come as early as 2029. That's seven years away. That's a tsunami. That's a freight train, right? And we're not ready. And, and people are now beginning. I've been writing about this for years and I've been speaking about this for years. Only now am I beginning to read, I mean, literally in the last several weeks, have I begun to read more people talking about it, like something on Axios recently, uh, I read that said that, you know, the technological uh, uh, change that is coming is going to be uh, massive and profound, and we're not prepared. No kidding. You know, I mean, it, it, it's been obvious for quite a long time. And yet no one is talking about it. So, you know, we have over 900,000 tech jobs that are unfulfilled, that are unfilled today because people aren't properly trained, educated and trained for those positions. Yeah. And now we're moving into a technological era where technology is going to replace jobs. 50% um, of all jobs that exist today um, are susceptible to automation based on existing technology. If you mm -hmm. add in future technology that will come over the next decade, something like 70 to 80% of jobs will be susceptible to automation. And, and capitalism is such that it will go to the most efficient, most cost efficient and effective means of production, which means that if I can hire a robot to do a job that a human once did, and I can hire that and I can and I can acquire that robot at a cost that I can amortize over a period of, say, three to five years, the cost of that robot. Mm. And that robot does the work of that human 24 hours a day. I will have paid for the robot within three to five years. And from that point forward, I have no labor cost. The, the, the robot does all of the work. 
And so business is going to, to migrate towards this in, in, in a, in a you know, greater and greater, at a greater and greater level. Today, the number one job for an American male is a truck driver. That job will be automated. We have Chrysler Dahmer doing tr- uh, cross-country trips with semis, driverless semis since 2017. So um, that those jobs are gone. Five million Uber drivers, those jobs are gone. We'll have driverless vehicles. There, We won't need Uber drivers. Um, clerical workers, number one job for an American female, those jobs are gone. Three million clerical workers. Eight million fast food franchise workers, eventually those jobs are gone. Lawyers, doctors, journalists, real estate agents, most if not all of these jobs can be automated and most if not all of them will be automated. You know, people don't realize this, but back in the 1800s, America was an agrarian society. Over 90% of all Americans were farmers or worked on the farms, right? Right. Over 90%. Today, less than 10% of Americans are farmers, okay? So all the jobs that exist today are not jobs that will exist in 10 to 15 years. We, the, the difference is that from the agrarian revolution or from the agrarian society to the industrial revolution, um, we've experienced that for more than a hundred years. Well, Mm -hmm. so we look at evolution as taking a long time. You know, evolution of the species has has taken millions of years for us to develop from wherever we came to whatever we are. Right. We think of evolution as as being a long process, Uh even transitioning from the agrarian society to the industrial society was a hundred year process. What's happening is that evolution is compressing. The time frames are compressing. Uh And so it's happening at an accelerated pace. Right. So we will go from where we are today to a situation of virtually, uh, you know, 80 to 90 percent of existing employment being robotic. Right. Mm -hmm. We will go to that not over a hundred year period. We will go to that over a 20 year period. Right. Mm -hmm. And then from from that, um, we will hit A.I., and, and artificial intelligence, Kurzweil says, not only is it coming, uh, the singularity coming in 2029, but that by the 2040s, 20 to 30 years away, artificial intelligence will not be our equal. It will be a billion times, okay. a mm-hmm. billion times more capable than human intelligence. So we'll go from automation over a 20-year period to AI over a two-year period. So that's the acceleration that's the kind of acceleration that I'm expecting, right? And, and you mentioned a futurist. I've just been called that by, by some you know, reporters and, and interviewers. And uh, I'm a broad learner. I'm a complex problem solver. That's, that's what I've done my that's entire life. And so I'm just looking at things that other people really aren't looking at, that the vast majority of people aren't looking at. I have the luxury, I have the time, and I have the educational training and background to examine these issues and then to report on them. And so this is what I'm doing. I'm trying to help people survive and thrive in a rapidly and radically changing world. And so I, bought, I, I wrote this book. It's called Millennial Samurai. It's, it's an incredible book. Um, you can download the entire book for free at millennialsamurai.com. 
And, and the goal here is not to sell books. The goal here is to empower people. So I'm trying to give away a million copies of free books. Um, 13,000 people have downloaded it so far. Um, I encourage everyone that's watching this to go to millennialsamurai.com and download the book for free. If you want a hard copy, you can go to amazon.com and you can buy the book. It's like $29. It's, it's an incredible book that you're going to want for yourself and for your children. Um, out of all the things that I'm leaving my daughter, the most important thing that I will leave her is this book. So, you know, that, that's what I can tell you. So as, as, as a futurist, the, um, it's about providing solution, predicting, and um, looking at trends, right? And providing solutions. So let's look at solutions because what you have painted to us or to me yep. is a little bit, you know, um, it, it is, it is scary. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think you also mentioned aside from the doctors and, and clericals, insurance brokers. Yeah. I actually have um, one uh, here in um, Southern California. So for those, so if we know that that is coming, what would be something that one can do today yeah. to then help us a effectively hurdle those challenge, be prepared, grab the opportunities, and just not be completely blindsided and yeah. strategically plan? Yeah, uh, knowing yeah, so that that is that, coming. That's a great question, and uh, I'll give you an answer. And the reason that I'm talking about this is so that you're not blindsided, right? So that I can create awareness. Sheryl Sandberg, um, who is the COO of Facebook, Facebook. and uh, the only woman on their board of directors, she was chief of staff for Larry Summers. She's a brilliant woman. Uh, she said that you cannot change that which you are unaware of. But once you are aware, aware. you cannot help but change. And so creating awareness is key. And that's why I'm doing this. I'm trying to create awareness. So number one, um, you can be aware of the problem. Num number two, um, you can do things to try to, um, to deal with it and to try to make the most of it. So the first thing to understand is that leaders don't run from problems. They run at them, okay? So being afraid or being uh, um, negative about what about the change that's coming uh, is not the answer at all. It's not going to help you. Um, in fact, you, you should be optimistic and you should be grateful because you're living in the most extraordinary period in human history. So the good news is, is that you are living in the most extraordinary period in human history. So life expectancy, for example, there's a guy named Aubrey de Grey of the Sun Research Foundation um, who says that the first person who will live to a thousand is alive today, meaning that a baby born today over the next hundred years, which is our current general life expectancy, right? Over the mm -hmm. next hundred years, technology will advance to improve that baby's lifespan from 100 years to 1,000 years, okay? So you're going to be the beneficiary of that, all right? Um, you're going to, uh, if you look at uh, just over a 50-year period, 
Look at in 1969, when NASA put men on the moon, they needed a room full of computers. This is only 50 years ago. They needed a room full of computers. Today, your cell phone has 100,000 times, 100,000 times the computing power that NASA had in 1969. So you have tools. You have, right. you have incredible tools. You have social media. You have the internet. You have blockchain technology. You have NFTs that have been developed. You have, you have all of these new, uh, many of these technologies are very under, uh, misunderstood. And we can talk about that later, go into that in greater detail. Um, but in any, in any case, we have the, te- we have the technology mm-hmm. to solve the world's problems. We can eliminate hunger. We can eliminate, we can eliminate illiteracy. We can create abundance, okay? And, and through abundance, through using technology to create abundance, we can multiply the global GDP. So today the US GDP is around 20 trillion. The, the uh, global GDP is around 100 trillion, okay? Um, the, uh, there's, a uh, authors, um, Gabriel Rene and Dan Mapes who wrote the spatial web, um, talk about, uh, 10xing, having technology 10x the global GDP. So moving it from a hundred trillion to a thousand trillion. Now, if mm-hmm. you have, a, if you have a global G- G- GDP of a thousand trillion, right, then you can, you can solve all of the world's problems. People don't need to work. People can be provided a universal basic income and they can um, be provided. All of their needs can be provided. So, so um, you can be doing things like what you're doing today, which is things that you're passionate about, whether or not they're generating revenue, you can pursue things that you're passionate about and, and build them over time into something that, that, produces revenue, have more time for them to grow and and produce revenue, because all of your basic needs are being met. If we do this right, we have the ability to create a second enlightenment, where people won't have to work, and where education and knowledge will flourish, and where creativity will flourish, and where all of humanity will have their needs met. We have that potential. Technology uh, presents that potential. Technology also pretend, uh, pre- uh, presents a very dystopian potential if we go the other way, right? If we make poor decisions, if we allow others to use this technology against the human race, right? Then, then, we, then we can fall into a dystopian reality, right? So we are at a tipping point. We are at, right. t- at a tipping point where we are either going to create a second enlightenment or we are going to fall into dystopian despair. And and I believe that we're at that tipping point. That tipping point is coming over the next 10 years. And so what do you do? Number one, you, you create awareness about it. Number two, you start talking about it. And number three, you start impacting policy and decisions and and actions that the government is taking with regard to these technologies. You support technologies like blockchain, for example, which create decentralization, a a decentralization of power, right? So today we have governments that are controlling things. 
and we have corporations that are controlling things, right? And these are large, you know, uh, uh, um, entities um, that basically control our our lives. And and blockchain offers the promise of distributed power, where mm-hmm. where instead of Facebook controlling all of my data or controlling who I can speak to. So for example, today, if I post something on Facebook or I post something on YouTube or I post something on Instagram, these companies control who gets to see what Mm -hmm. I post, right? Even even if I have, let's say, 5,000 friends on Facebook, right? These are supposedly my friends, right? Which means if I wanna talk to them, I ought to be able to talk to them, right? They're following me. They want to hear me. They want to listen to me. But Facebook decides today whether or not my message reaches them. Mm. Right? If, if, if I don't pay Facebook, if I don't pay them to, to um, um, broaden my reach, then right. my post may only be seen by a few people, right? It may be seen by less than 10 people because Facebook's algorithms decide not to share it unless I pay, Right. Well, decentralization and blockchain create a situation where I don't have to be talking to my tribe and to my friends and to my followers through something that is owned by someone else. I can talk to them directly on a blockchain apparatus where I'm dealing with with the people that follow me directly. I'm able to work with them. I'm able to generate income from them. Um, and I don't have to go through an intermediary. I don't even have to use Visa. I don't have to use a bank. I don't have to use Facebook. Um, I can reach people directly. Um, I can use cryptocurrency to transact business with them directly. That's the promise of blockchain. That is a liberating, empowering technology. So what we need to do is we need to, we need to use these technologies to create a better future for ourselves. That's and, right. And we can do that. We so the do. answer, the answer really is leveraging, leveraging uh, technology. And I like that initially there seems to be that that doomsday. And then, you know, as you said, it's a tipping point. And suddenly, I think you also mentioned promise and poison, right? So is it going to poison you promise know, the and next peril. Gen- oh, yeah. is it promise, promise and peril? peril? Yeah. That could be poisonous too, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so the promise, I love, I love the abundance side of it. That 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 is uh, like a utopia almost, but yeah. it could be, it could be a reality in the very near future. George, yeah. thank you, Melody. Thank it's you real. It's it's very real. It's I very, love it. I it's love very, it. It's very real. It's not something to be um, fearful or pessimistic about. Um, again, leaders run at problems. They don't run away from them. So it's like, it's like the, uh, um, you know, some of your, some of your viewers may be religious. There's a story about, uh, uh, the man who's on the side of the bank of a river and the river is rising and it's creating a flood and, um, and it's wiping out the homes and, um, and killing, you know, uh, people that are being drowned by this flood. And so this boat comes by and um, the man is on the shore and they say, get in the boat. And he says, it's okay. You know, God will save me. 
And so the boat leaves and, and the next boat comes by and uh, he's, they say, get in the boat. And he says, it's okay. God will save me. The, th the third boat comes and they say, listen, we're the last boat out. You know, the water is up to your knees, right? You're going to die if you don't get in the boat. And the man responds, God will save me. It's okay. And the boat leaves. So then the man dies and he goes to heaven and he meets God and he, and he confronts him. And he says, <laughs> he says, why did you forsake me? And God says, what are you talking about? I sent you three boats. Three. <laughs> I sent you three boats, right? And so, you know, we have the boats. The message, Melody, is that we have the boat. I love it. We hey, George. Yeah. So, so for all the novices out there who maybe interchangeably, um, you know, look at blockchain and then the Bitcoin frenzy that's going on. Um, how how is that different? And in terms of investing, and people are you know people are saying buy the right. dip, etc. Okay. okay, so on investing in blockchain or cryptocurrency, um, you have to be very careful, right? Not all cryptocurrencies are good, right? right? So in fact, the vast majority of them are not good. The vast majority are bad, and they're bad investments. And so here's the analogy. Um, when automobiles were first uh, invented or created, um, there were 1,800, 1,800 automobile manufacturers. Out of those 1,800, only three exist today, Ford, Chrysler, and GM. Okay. The rest that were What's there- What's the fourth? Ford, Chrysler, GM? Just three. Three that, oh, three three. that exist today out of the 1800 Ford Chrysler and GM. Okay. So all the rest are gone. They no longer exist. Okay. Now today there are 19,000 cryptocurrencies, 19,000. The vast majority of those will not exist in the future. They will fail. They will never become anything. So if you find right. them, um, mm -hmm. you may be holding something that can become worthless um, quickly. Right. But, there will be the Ford, the Chrysler, and the GM, and the GM. Them, right? So if you, can, if you can identify which of those cryptocurrencies will be significant long-term, um, and, and that group today, you know, I'm not offering any investment advice to anybody, um, but if you look, um, what are the most widely adopted cryptocurrencies today? So Bitcoin would be one of them, right? Ethereum would be one of them. Um, uh, other lesser, uh, but still very strong cryptocurrencies might include something like Cardano or Polkadot, right? These are also significant uh, cryptocurrencies right. today. Mm -hmm. So some of these, and you don't have to be right on all of them, right? So a venture capitalist, right, right, right. A venture capitalist invests in 20 different companies, 18 or 19 of those companies fail. But the one company that they invested in that's a home run makes up make more than makes up for all the failures, right? So if you pick a small pocket, a small collection of cryptocurrencies that are the most blue chip, the most blue chip cryptocurrencies, the odds are that one or two of those will make it forward and will become um, major players and, and, and have major adoption. 
and and become the uh, the Amazons of the future or the you know the Facebooks of the future. And um, so you have to like anything else, you know, on the New York Stock Exchange. If you're picking stocks, you can't just pick mm-hmm. anything. You have mm-hmm. to be very careful. Very, you have to do your homework. You have to be discerning. You have to watch the market. Um, but that that is an opportunity. NFTs are another thing that that most people don't know about today. Uh, NFTs are art, but NFTs are not just about art. Uh, a non fungible token, so that you you and your viewers understand it. There's a token, and then there that's minted on the blockchain, and connected to that token is a smart contract, and that smart contract spells out what the buyer of the token or the holder of the token receives through the token. What what does that token represent? Well, today it represents a piece of art. Tomorrow it could represent a container full of lumber. It could it could represent a warehouse full of satellites. It oh could God. represent <laughs> it could represent your home. It could represent an insurance policy. It could represent a ticket to an athletic event, a ticket to a concert. Um, it could represent a meeting with you. It can represent anything that you want it to represent because you indicate on the smart contract that is attached to the token what the token means and what the token represents. So uh, today, the early adopters in that space are artists and artists are creating these unique individual digital pieces of art. They're minting them as tokens, as NFTs and they're minting them on the blockchain. They will exist there on the blockchain in perpetuity. And in the smart contract, you're allowed to write whatever you choose to write. So you can uh, attach a residual. You can say, when this piece of art, or when this uh, container of lumber, or when this warehouse of satellites is sold, I'm selling it to you for X. When you sell it for Y, when when you take it from me, and you turn around and you sell that token to the next buyer, I get X percent of that secondary sale. And I get the same percentage of the next sale and the next sale and the next sale in perpetuity. So imagine, you know, buying a house when you're young, you I'm sure, you know, bought a house. And uh, so now you have this house and you sell it to someone, right? And it's gone. You got the money, they got the house. But imagine if you sold it as an NFT and you said, I want 2% of all future sales of this house. The buyer is not going to uh, uh, not buy your home because of that 2% condition. They're going to buy it anyway. And and now when they, you sell it to them for a million dollars, they turn around and sell it for $5 million. You get 2% of that 5 million. The next person turns around and sells it for 10 million, you get 2% of that 10 million. And this goes on in perpetuity. And you don't have to chase the, the seller or the buyer to get paid because you've put on the smart contract your crypto wallet, you've attached your crypto wallet address, and you've said when these transactions occur, the blockchain is automatically instructed, instructed to self-execute this trade and to pay me my 2%. Every time this happens, forever. And so now when you die, you can pass that crypto wallet onto your children. 
And your children's crypto wallet will now be filled with those transactions on an ongoing basis. And your grandchildren's crypto wallet will be filled with that ongoing revenue on, on, on an ongoing basis. Um, so this is a very, very powerful new technology. And this is NFTs. And, and NFTs. So, so what is, again, your, your website? Um, it's oh. People Rain. People, people Rain. Yeah, mm -hmm. people, R-E-I-G-N.com, PeopleRain.com. And what I'm doing is I'm creating NFTs that are art-based, they're digital art, but they're more special. They're, they're, I'm trying, so the, the, the highest selling piece of digital art ever is a piece um, by an artist named Beeple that sold at Christie's auction for $69 million in 2020, the same month that a Van Gogh, an original Van Gogh sold for uh, $15 million. So the Van Gogh sells for $15 million. This digital piece of art sells for 69 million. Okay. And um, the uh, um, so, so when, when the guy who bought it, who paid 69 million, his name was Metacoven. And they asked Metacoven, what are you going to do with this art? And he said, it's right. going to go into a digital museum in a metaverse that I'm metaverse. Right. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, what else is going to go in that digital museum? in that metaverse? What could I create that could go into that digital museum? So I've hired artists, graphic artists from all over the world, and I have them working on projects that are my vision of what art mm -hmm. I want to create. Oh, wow. And I have these artists creating based on my vision of what I'm telling them to create. And so I'm creating um, more historical pieces. Um, pieces that um, I believe will be in digital museums of the future. So, for example, I have a, a, a group of currency that I've created called Moon Money. And it features, uh, one bill features Elon Musk, one bill features Mark Zuckerberg, Donald Trump, Vladimir Putin, Chairman Xi, um, Andy Warhol, all of these figures who were important in the 20th century um, those figures are um, now memorialized in this currency on the blockchain in perpetuity by a witness, my being the witness of someone who was there when they were alive, so that people a hundred years from now will collect these and say, you know, this is someone who lived through Donald Trump, who created this currency based on Donald Trump. And in the currency, I've included uh, um, code, um, binary code and hex code that is translatable into text. And so I've taken all of the outrageous things that Donald Trump has said while he was president, um, and I have memorialized them in this bill in code that's translatable. And so people 50 or 100 years from now will have these and, and be able to remember the things that he was saying while he was president. Like, why are all those people coming from shithole countries? And, you know, uh, you can grab this woman by the pussy. And all these things <laughs> that he said are now part of the blockchain, right? Memorialized in perpetuity. And so... You know, what might you create? What might your children create? What might you know, different artists that you know create? And, and how can you become involved in this new industry, in this new, Disney calls it a new era in creativity, right? So think about this. Um, today in Hollywood, content is king, right? 
Meaning, you know, Netflix needs film. They need more content because especially with binge watching, we're going through the content very rapidly. So people want something new. Well, in the metaverses of the future that Disney is creating, that Google is creating, that Netflix is creating, that Meta, Facebook is creating, that thousands of others will create in those metaverses, what is the content that will go into those metaverses? And it will be primarily NFTs. And so creating NFTs is creating the content that a digital world will be very hungry for, right? So that's a new business opportunity. That, that, uh, that's an amazing new business opportunity that I'm exploring. As a matter of fact, just uh, listening to you, I could already see how estate planning or, um, you know, creating, creating like a diary for your children's children, your, for the yes. next generation. Yes. You know, this is what my, my grandma said and, yeah. and all that. So, um, oh, yeah, you could, you can leave them. Um, you're in life insurance. Of course. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you could, you could take a life insurance policy. You could tokenize it. You could sell it on the blockchain as an NFT and attached to it could be a video of the yes. uh, of the of the parent or of the grandparent or of the great grandparent. Um, and as that policy is passed down from generation to generation um, and as a token, uh, so is that legacy of of the videos um, or the audios of their ancestors. Right. So there are all sorts of opportunities in the space. It's really just limited by your own creativity. Um, what's amazing, you, you see all the art behind me. It's it's. Two yes, I was going to um, I was going yeah. to mention that. So it's two, it's all it's all two dimensional. Right. And and that historically, since the dawn of time, has been what art has been about, primarily two dimensional. There's sculpture that's three dimensional, but. But painted art is, is, is two-dimensional. We're now entering an era, era where, where art is not you know, two-dimensional two or even three-dimensional. It's multi-dimensional. It's multi-layered. It can, it can contain audio. It, contain, it can contain video. It can contain um, entertainment. It, contain, it can contain experiences. It can it contain entitlements to goods or services. So the art piece can be an amalgamation, a, a combination of all of these different things, and it can be packaged into an NFT, uh, documented on a smart contract, and minted on the blockchain in perpetuity with a, re with a residual stream attached to it. That is an amazingly powerful new technology, right? What, what's truly amazing with what also you're saying is we are just at the at the beginning. You know, we're at the beginning. We're just really merely yeah. tapping the surface, right? Yeah. So imagine yeah. the the power that this could really bring. Itself. Yeah, yeah. And think about think about you know trading cards, for example. Trading cards came out in the eighteen fifties. Topps trading cards, the number one premier you know player in the space didn't come out until the 1950s, a hundred years later, later, right? So NFTs, we are at the 1850s. Right. We, we, are right. At, we are at the very beginning. I mean, these came out really in 2015 with CryptoKitties, 
and then 2017 with CryptoPunks, and then 2020 with, uh, with Every Day's 5,000 Days. We're in the first decade of this new phenomenon, this new era in creativity. So the things that we create, not only is the potential more enormous than anything that has existed in the past, but we are, um, we're at the early stage where, where the value of what is being create, created today has even more value because of its proximity to the beginning of this new technology, right? The fact that we're the first, right? In collectibles, being the first matters. If you're, right. a, if you're a Camaro collector, you want the number one engine block off the, off the line, right? You want right. the number one Camaro. So today, when you create a piece of art, a piece of digital art that's an NFT that no one has created before, that is something different, that is something novel, something new, then you're a first. And that first can have value, right? So, I agree. <laughs> yeah. So the beauty, the beauty of being alive today is that you have the opportunity, opportunity. to be the first. Oh, my God. So, so George, it, for, for our audience out there who want to learn more uh, about this technology, what would be a good literature, a good book um, yeah. to, so the first to thing, get into the first, this? The first thing that I would tell everyone is if you want to survive and thrive in the 21st century, if you want to really excel, the first thing you need to do is you need to read this book. You need to read Millennial Samurai, A Mindset for the 21st Century. Either go on Amazon and get it or go to millennialsamurai.com and download it for free and check it out. That's the first thing that you ought to do because that's going to give you a very broad base of knowledge about all of these areas that are coming and how you can profit from them. That's the first thing. The second thing is um, you can go to my website, which is georgejchanos.com, georgejchanos.com. Um, I'm constantly writing articles um, on what's happening, what's new in, in, in the space. And so there are a number of articles that you can read on that website, and that will constantly be updated. And, um, you know, Google, start Googling uh, NFTs and start reading articles about them, uh, start reading about blockchain, start familiarizing yourself. You can't afford, what, what happens to most people is that they see something like cryptocurrency or they see something like NFTs and they don't understand it. And because they don't understand it, they assume that it's not significant because if it were significant, right. if it were uh -huh. significant, certainly they would be doing something about it, right? right. But the only way to justify not doing something about it is to say it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. Yes. It's not significant. The truth is, it is significant. It is a big deal. And, and you can't afford to not know about these things. So I'm sold. I'm sold. Okay, yeah. millennial summarizes. Yeah. No, 100%. Thank you. I'm, I'm pretty sure I am 100% sure that uh, our audience out there will be all over <laughs> this. And as, as you said, it's an amazing, exciting time to really be at the cutting edge of, uh, of what is yeah. unfolding uh, right in front of our eyes, right? Yeah. Um, so change gears a bit. And um, you've mentioned leveraging technology. And I think you also mentioned something um, really profound on controlling your thoughts, right? Because yes. uh, it's about 
you know, critical thinking and training your mind to learn, relearn, unlearn. What would be your tips for those that that would then step back and say, you know what? Yes, I want to reassess and just be open. Okay. What are the mm-hmm. okay? So let what me. Would you wait, that's a great. That's a great question. It's a huge area. So first of all, you have to understand. You know, when you're born, nobody gives you a owner's manual, manual on the brain. Right. So right. you don't know how your brain actually works. You just know that it works. Right? right. All right. So the first thing to understand is how your brain works. And if you once you understand that, you're going to be in a much better position to survive and thrive. So first of all, your brain receives 11 million bits of information per second. Every second of the day, your brain is receiving mass quantities of information. You know, if you're in a crowded restaurant, you're hearing all the noise that's going on, the ambient noise in the room, that that information is entering your brain. Okay, your brain can only process 15 can only consciously process 15 to 50 bits of information per second, which means that 99 percent of all information enters your brain outside of your conscious awareness. Okay, number one. So understand that your brain is a double edged sword. Understand that it's extremely malleable, that it's like a sponge. It sucks in all this information, most of it outside of your conscious awareness. But now it's in your brain and it's controlling the way you think. It's controlling the way you see the world, right? Because that information is there and the brain has received that information and it's processed that information and it's using that information to make judgments, to detect patterns, to arrive at conclusions. Now, once you understand that, you understand that that's happening to every human being on the planet. So if you're someone who's living in war-torn Syria, you're receiving different information than I'm receiving. Your brain is receiving different information, okay? So it's no wonder, or if you're in China, or if you're in Russia, or wherever you happen to be, or even in the same household, a parent can look at a child differently Um, can say something to a child differently. They have different friends. They listen to different music. They attend different classes, right? So their brains are developing differently. differently. So they're not going to think the same. So understand that no one is going to think the same way because their brains have been the recipients of Mm -hmm. diverse information. So that tells you something, tells you a number of things. Number one, it tells you that your view of the world has no privileged legitimacy any more than someone else's view of the world because your brain has been filled with whatever information and is decoding what it's seen based on that information. And, and that information may or may not have been true, may or may not have been reliable, may have, may or may or may not have been factual. Right? So number one, question your thoughts interrogate your thoughts. Don't assume that your thoughts are true. Don't assume assume that your thoughts are accurate. Number two, when you're doing complex problem solving, you want to have a helicopter perspective, which means you want to see things at all angles, which means Mm -hmm. you want all perspectives, which means that the alternative perspectives of those that you disagree with are not threats. They are assets. They can enrich you. They can enrich you. So, so talking to people who disagree with you civilly and, and learning what it is that they're thinking and why they're thinking the way they are 
is an important asset for you. So number one, we need to solve our division problem by understanding that alternative perspectives are not threats, they are assets. And by welcoming in that input, that can make our division go away. If our division goes away, then we begin to collaborate. And teams outperform individuals all day long, okay? To, in, in the Wright Brothers' time, it took a small group of people to okay. build an aircraft and an aircraft engine. Today, a Boeing aircraft engine requires 6,000 people just for the engine, just for the engine. So the great work of today and tomorrow will be done in teams. Team. So we have mm -hmm. to enhance collaboration. We have to work with each other. This is our way forward. We have to recognize that human beings are profoundly interdependent with one another. We need each other. It is in our own mutual self-interest to engage one another, to collaborate with one another, to work with one another, to cooperate with one another, to have compassion and empathy toward one another, to, to be stronger by building a stronger society, right? We're only as strong as our weakest links. And so we need to help each other, you know, uh, reach our potential. So these are things, the way you think about things, and these things are all discussed in Millennial Samurai. So when you read the book, you begin to understand how the brain works. You learn about confirmation bias. You learn about cognitive dissonance. You learn about motivated reasoning. You learn about, uh, you know, how your brain functions, how it can be manipulated. You learn about collaboration. You learn about how to enhance your own creativity. You learn about compassion. You learn about empathy. You learn about gratitude. You learn about all the things the ancient core values that have helped us survive. You learn about the core principles like choice and authenticity and, and uh, making good decisions. You learn about issues that matter, all the great issues of the day that we're debating today and, and that are causing division today. You learn about both sides of those issues. And then you learn about the future and you learn about all the technologies that are out there. The chapters in this book are only one to three pages each. So they're very, very short for the short attention span reader. They're very condensed and they give you only the most important salient details that you need to know. But you will learn about things that you've never learned about, that you, that you don't know anything about. Half the book is filled with things that I knew nothing about before I started my research. And these are things that I came across in my research that, that amazed me. And then I thought, oh, my God, I can't believe that, that I'm reading about this. And, and those are the things that got into the book. So you'll learn about glass information storage. You'll learn about longevity escape velocity. You'll learn about asteroid mining. You'll learn about things that, that you never <laughs> knew about. And you will know more. You will know more after reading that book. And it's 182 chapters, 182 chapters that are only one to three pages each. You will know more than 99% of the American public, and that will allow you to survive and thrive in a technological tsunami. So I'm going to read it, and then if I have any questions that, or if I need clarity, I'm just going to text you or email 100%. you. 100%. Right? Text me, email me, um, or you know, we'll do another show and we can talk about what you read. That's right. Um, so what I gathered um, are for changing 
changing our thoughts to be able to then spot to learn and learn and spot opportunities and whatnot is question your initial thoughts, right? Yep. Have a helicopter view of, uh, of, of what's going on and look at threats more as an asset. I like that. I like yeah, that so part. There's, 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 uh, um, so think of your thoughts as sensory packets of information, right? Your thoughts are sensory packages, sensory derived from your senses. Senses. Uh -huh. you're, you're gathering these thoughts from the out, outside world, your senses, your sight, your hearing, your, your smell, your taste, right? You're gathering these, your brain is gathering this information. Taste. It's, it's creating these <laughs> thoughts that are essentially sensory packets of information that may or may not be true. True. Okay. Yes, right? yes. So you need to don't think of a thought as being necessarily true. Interrogate the thought. Examine the thought. Gather additional information from alternative perspectives to re-examine the thought. Have an open mind. Your mind is like a parachute. It doesn't work if it isn't open. <laughs> so you have to have an open mind. Yeah, Think of a closed box versus an open box. A closed box can't receive anything. An open box can receive. Your mind must be open. It must be, you, you must want to find the truth. If you want to find the truth, you must be committed to finding the truth. And the truth may not be what your brain is telling you today. You have to be open to that. You have to be open to the fact that maybe someone else who's giving a message that's different than mine is actually telling the truth and that my belief is wrong. Okay. Now, the most valuable information is not information that validates you and says that you're right. Right. Mm -hmm. It's disconfirming information. It's disconfirming information that tells you that you were wrong. If you're right, you don't need anybody's help. You're already right. It's when you're wrong that you need right. to be corrected, right? So, so disconfirming, search, search for information that says right. that your beliefs about something are wrong. That information is the most valuable information to you. You know, what you're saying sort of reminds me of what I've been reading with um, uh, Ray, Ray Dalio. Yes. Right? So, yeah. um, so your message today, George, truly is super potent because it synthesizes the fact that with everything that's going on and with all the sensory experience that we will get more of and with all the plethora of information and misinformation and disinformation yeah. <laughs> that's just going to tsunami uh, everyone the critical thinking piece, I think, is central. It huge. truly is is huge uh, because it, um, without that, we're just going to accept maybe as truth anything that's being thrown at us and there's going to be billions or trillions of, of that that's going to happen yes. more. Yes, right? and you, you need to train yourself in critical thinking. You need to right. adopt that helicopter perspective which causes you to rise above a situation 
and look at it from all perspectives, all angles. That is essential to critical thinking. I've been a critical thinker and a problem solver, a complex problem solver my entire life. And I'm telling you, the way that I do this is with a helicopter perspective. I gather all perspectives. I gather as much information as I possibly can. And then I use that information to analyze a problem. That's critical thinking, okay? And, 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 and the great power uh, that you want to possess is not knowledge. The great power is intelligence, the ability to think critically. The ability to take knowledge. Think about this. When I was a kid, I had to go to the library to, to find a book to, to learn the answer to a question. Today, my daughter goes to the phone. <laughs> exactly. Look it up. So knowledge, knowledge is very accessible, right? Tomorrow... Yeah. According to Kurzweil, I won't have to go to my phone. I'll just think of a question and the answer will come to me instantaneously from the cloud wirelessly. My neural cortex will be connected to the cloud in 30 years, according to, to Kurzweil. So knowledge is not going to be your problem. You're going to have all the knowledge at your fingertips, not even at your fingertips, at your thoughts, you're going to think of something and you're going to have the knowledge. What you're going to need is the ability to ask the right questions, the ability to analyze the information that you're receiving, the ability to think. You're going to need intelligence and critical thinking. So you have to train that skill. That skill mm -hmm. develops just like if I'm a writer, I have to write time and time again to become a better writer. There was a professor at Harvard named Roger Fisher that I studied under when I was uh, participated in the Harvard Negotiation Project. And um, um, professor, uh, professor Fisher would get up every morning um, and he, would, uh, he was a world-class negotiator, right? He negotiated some of the greatest conflicts in the world uh, during his lifetime. And um, he was part of the negotiation teams and the game theory analysts that figured out how to how to negotiate these complex situations the bosnia situation the major league baseball strikes all these things that existed during his lifetime he would wake up every morning and he would take the newspaper and he would read through the newspaper and he would look for a dispute he would look for, he would look for a situation where people were having a dispute between one side or and the other and mm -hmm. he would try to practice, how would I negotiate that dispute? Ooh, and he ooh. did that every day. And by doing that every day, he became better and better at negotiation, right? Malcolm Goldwell in his book, Outliers, talks about doing, spending 10,000 hours doing something to uh, master a certain skill, right? So the more hours you put into something, the more time you invest in perfecting a skill, the more proficient you're going to become. Right. Invest time in using a helicopter perspective and engaging in critical thinking, right? This is going to be, this is your sword. Your mind is like a sword. Um, and the more you- That's the samurai, right? <laughs> you're sharpening that sword. That tool is going to be with you wherever you go. You could be dropped off in the middle of the forest with nothing, but you'd have your brain. You'd have that sword. So sharpen that sword throughout your life. Engage in lifelong learning. 
Be prepared to unlearn things that you think you know that are wrong and be pre prepared to relearn um, new things that you need to know. Um, the, the future will be a process of continuous adaptation and lifelong learning, right? But it's a glorious, it'll, it'll, it'll open up glorious possibilities, incredibly in, amazing possibilities. So don't be afraid of it. Be brave and run, right. run towards it and say, listen, I'm going to be one of the ones that, that excels in this new environment. There, there will be amazing opportunities everywhere you look, right? Everywhere you look on things that you can do to advance yourself and to profit and to thrive. Um, you just need to look for them and, and don't overlook adversity. Adversity is filled with opportunities. You know, something happens to you that's bad. Look at how it can be leveraged into something good. I had a heart attack. I had a heart attack. I wouldn't have written this book if it weren't for the heart attack. So bad turned into good, right? So, you know, look for those opportunities. I wrote an article um, with Forbes on using pain as your currency, right? The currency to do, to do, to do maybe whatever it is that you love that. are meant are meant to do, right? But for our audience out there, really, those are um, words that could make each and every one of us trailblazers and could do something magnificent in this in this lifetime. So, as we uh, as we conclude our show. George, uh, what is the best way for our audience to, to reach you? Um, they can reach me at georgejchanos.com um, or they could email me at gjchanos uh, at gmail.com. And um, those are really the two best ways. I really had a fantastic time. I mean, I could go on for hours just listening to all the words of wisdom that you're sharing right now uh, with our audience. But um, just like with anything, we have to, to end the show <laughs> and, um, and hoping that perhaps we can do uh, a second one after I, I read the book, right? <laughs> anytime, anytime and reach out to me on anything that you need. Um, I'm here as a resource to help you. I'm trying to help other people enhance their lives. And um, it's to me, it's about legacy at this point in my life. Um, how many lives can I touch? And so right. um, if you need something, let me know. I will. <laughs> all right. And for all the dreamers out there, keep believing. You got this. Till Absolutely. Next time. Keep believing. <laughs>